Well, first, I want to say they're not just a cultural phenom in the United States. It's worldwide. They have made a name for themselves all over the planet, really. I mean, people are cheering for them that don't like the United States about anything else. Welcome to Going Deep, sports in the 21st century on Blue Ridge Public Radio. I'm Dr. Marsha Mount Shoup. And I'm Coach John Shoup. John's coached at the highest levels of the game of football for 26 years. And Marsha is an author, theologian, and minister. And we're glad you've joined us to go deep into some of the most pressing issues of our time. On Going Deep, we go beyond the sound bites and highlight reels. Hello, I'm Matt Bush, the news director for Blue Ridge Public Radio. I also produce Going Deep along with the Shoops, and as you may have guessed from the short intro at the top, this episode will examine and celebrate the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team, which won its second consecutive Women's World Cup title with a 2-0 victory over the Netherlands in the final on July 7, 2019. We begin our discussion with Marsha touching on why the team has become the cultural force it is in the U.S., but I think there are several reasons, um, and one is is the thing I don't want us to lose sight of in the in the you know kind of amazing things that they have accomplished and who they are. But that that women's sports has come so far just in my lifetime. I was born in 1969, and and you know Title IX came along in the early 70s, and you know the just the the way that women's sports has you know, we've all worked hard as female athletes to give opportunities for the next generation. And here are the fruits of this. Again, my generation's moving from complete nothing for women to, you know, this world stage where they have just dominated. So that's one thing. I feel like it's dues paid. It's history. It's, I mean, it it's hard for me to not get choked up just watching them it's awesome but the other thing i think that is amazing is and that has made them such a cultural phenomenon is not only do they you know have exciting play and amazing personalities and um they win they back up their swagger with wins but these women have a lot of moral courage they're willing to speak into the most difficult issues um, that our country's facing, that the world is facing. They don't apologize for themselves, for their sexuality, for the fact that they're a cross-racial team. Um, they are just them. They're themselves. And I think when people see that kind of confidence, some would call it arrogance, but I'll call it confidence, that kind of confidence that is also backed up by success, that's magnetic. People want to be around that. People want to listen to them. I also think they have um, not really gotten, they've not missed a step with criticism. They've not, I mean, they've gotten a lot of heat, including from the President of the United States, but they haven't they really haven't let that take a lot of their energy. So I'd say the 
they are they're kind of this bright light that is that is burning so brightly because of all the generations, all the women, all the different stories that have fed into this this moment in our history when women you know can be dominant in a sport that's a world stage kind of sport. And there is a bit of a double standard when it comes to sort of the boastfulness and the arrogance and how they were called out for it, where with male athletes we would see, and John, having coached football, I'm sure you were around, around a lot of male athletes that were just as boastful, just as braggy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's treated very differently, right? Oh, yeah. People don't like strong women. I can attest to that. <laughs> um, but I like – Again, I, I want us to remember some of the lineage, like Brandy Chastain making that clutch penalty shot in the 1999 World Cup to win in the Rose Bowl that was packed full of people, and she rips off her shirt just like men do when they win. And just think of all of the heat that she got for that. I mean, she was quoted in a New York Times article last week saying, I still get asked about that. You know, she was on a plane and somebody was like, you're going to take your shirt off? And she's like, not today. You know, I mean, how many men have to answer those questions? But the fact that that women are on a world stage winning and not apologizing for their bodies, not, you know, kind of having to slow play it or be you know keep things under wraps but just being being who they are being strong is i can't tell you what that means to me as a woman and and i know to other women as well As a person who absolutely loves athletics and sports, I can't tell you what it means to me to watch a team that is probably the best ever at what they do. So you can take all the personalities, all the swagger, all the politics, all that. Perhaps the most attractive thing to me is they're the best in the world at what they do. They are probably the best ever. And I think there's some real reasons for that. When you talk about soccer in the United States, specifically women's soccer in the United States, there may not be a group of people that benefited more from Title IX in 1972 than a generation of women who grew up playing soccer. Think about this for a second. 1972, Title IX uh, prohibited educational institutions receiving federal funding from discriminating based on gender. Now, everybody knows the biggest part of Title IX, or maybe the most famous part of Title IX, has to do with equal athletic opportunities. Think about this for a second. In 1972, 700 girls were playing high school soccer throughout America. Today, 390,000 young women play soccer in high school across America. From 1972, when Title IX started, to 
to the first Women's World Cup in 1991, there was a 17,000% increase in women playing soccer. And, and, and maybe the most important thing about Title IX was that it wasn't a law that was enacted that, that merely allowed women to play sports. It required schools that were receiving federal funding, it required them to create opportunities for women. And women's soccer seized so many of those opportunities at a time really when throughout the world even, women didn't have some of those same opportunities. And this makes it a unique American experience. So there's some contours to, to Title IX that we need to raise up here that make this not an un, not just a story of a beautiful victory and a law really working. It, 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 has, it is a law that, that has had an impact in a positive way in women's lives in many, many ways. But one of the reasons why women's soccer in particular has, has flourished with Title IX is because of football. Football is the American football. American football in in educational institutions in the United States. There are so many bodies on a football team, and if you're going to have equity, then you've somehow going to have to find some sports that have a lot of bodies for women. So I was a runner, you know, um, track, cross country. Those teams aren't ever going to have as many players on them as a football team although i did have 80 runners on my cross-country team in west lafayette indiana in junior high (laughs) (laughs) but 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 what i'm saying is one of the reasons why a sport like soccer has flourished in title nine is because schools wanted to nurture that size of a roster it helps them create equity and still have a great football team because if you just have you know some of the more minor sports for women like basketball and that's not a minor sport but mm-hmm. track cross country it'd be sports that have lower rosters you're not going to yeah. have as many people so a sport like soccer was an ace in the hole for mm-hmm. colleges especially so those programs got developed and it's just to, to clarify for everybody it's that you know you have to have this equal it's an equal, equal number of players equal. so if a football roster in the ncaa is 80 players yeah. american football has 80 players well then you have to balance out 80 80 That's hard women to do. athletes, yes, and you're right. That is kind of hard, hard to, do to do in individual sports, which are most, That's, which are what most college right. sports are. And that's why my college had, you know, we had women's field hockey. We had, you know, we had some other mm. minor sports like that to to round out those numbers because we had a, a healthy football team. So that's one thing that 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 colleges weren't stupid (laughs) they saw that they needed to develop this particular size roster sport for women and really soccer was one of the only ones that existed so when i was a little girl the first soccer league for kids came into being Mm -hmm. i was in elementary school i was the only girl on the team on my team a few other girls came out uh, as the years went by. But once I got to high school, there was no girls team. Mm-hmm. That was in the 80s. 
there was one girl that went to high school with me that played on the boys team they they had to let her play on the boys team but the big sports in my school were cross country and track so that's where a lot of girls went there wasn't anywhere for me to go with soccer there there was somewhere for me to go with running now the now the next generation after me there are girls teams in high schools there are girls teams in college so there's somewhere to go with it and again you're seeing as the decades roll on you're starting to see like girls get more and more motivated to stick with soccer so underneath again all of this world cup success is club teams for girls starting at age three our daughter was on a club team that traveled when they were she was like four years old um and so there's this pipeline that starts really early for girls in travel soccer and it is a major money maker it's it's an industry just like you know you see in some of the boys sports and aau and things like that girls soccer is and and i think girls softball is more and more like that but it girls soccer has been so tied to this club system um, and these travel teams and again it's just kind of a way of life now for families with daughters that's just kind of a rite of passage you do that and it really kind of explains one thing i wanted to get to is just to why the women's soccer team in the united states there is no really of any other the major team sports there's no american team that is as good or as as dominant in its particular sport and Mm -hmm. we actually talked about this bit before we started recording of the four, let's say, major team sports that are played internationally, which again eliminates American football, but that would be soccer, hockey, basketball, and baseball, softball. There is no other American team, male or female, that is as strong as the women's soccer team is. That's right. The, yeah, the men's basketball close, team in yeah. the Olympics is probably the one group that approaches it, and, and they've but they certainly don't have a World Cup when pro, all the great professional NBA players were playing in what they called the dream team with Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, certainly they could beat anybody, anytime, (laughs) anywhere. But you're exactly right. There's something unique about this women's team and something uniquely American about this process of how women's soccer became so big. Listen, I used to be a football coach, and there was a period of time where I was one of those guys that actually thought, you know, Title IX is kind of going to ruin football. Title IX, everything should be equal, and we just take football out of the equation because women don't play football. I, I was actually one of those people that thought that. And there were a lot of people. In fact, there was a, a, a an amendment proposed i think it was called the towers amendment in the 80s and bo schembechler tom osborne all the great college football coaches went to washington to fight for this amendment that equality should exist on the campuses but don't count the scholarship football players in that number because that makes it unfair for other men's sports i.e swimming might get cut wrestling and that happened at a lot of big level schools d1 schools things like tennis and swimming and diving ended up getting cut yes because of football but it was because of football but it was blamed on title (laughs) nine right so in football it used to be that you could have an unlimited number of scholarships and then it 
at some point reduced to 105 and is now, in football, you're allowed 85 scholarships. So say uh, a university has 150 male athletes on scholarship, then they need to have 150 female athletes on scholarship as well. And if 85 of those are taking up, taken up by American football for the men, well, that, that means some of those men's sports are going to disappear. And that's what happened. And I did feel like, son of a gun, that's not fair. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you what changed it. One, marrying Marcia. <laughs> and two, having a daughter. When, when you're in this all-male world and you don't talk to anybody else outside of your world, of course you start to think that. And I grew up with only brothers. Uh, my mom didn't play any sports at all. And so that's the way that I viewed the world. And when I became proximate to women that were athletic, Marsha, other friends in college, and then when I had a daughter, I thought to myself, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, they deserve those same opportunities. And uh, it's a very narrow-sighted view if you think football should just be left out of that. And um, in my opinion, this Title IX, I, I, I don't know if I can name a law that has worked as well in some regards to accomplishing what its goal was, at least in terms of athletics. We are the best women's soccer team in the world has ever seen, and women's sports have blossomed amazingly in our lifetime. And that's because of Title IX, mm -hmm. a big part. thing I would say that makes this team iconic is the way they lift the veil on some of the you know the kind of biggest I'm just going to go on and say it lies of patriarchy you know um, one of the things that that women's soccer has helped us to see is just strong women who can who can play the sport they can back up their bravado with their play but also the the question of equal pay that they have that they have provoked and that they have you know taken into the courts there's this circularity to the argument around football and title nine and pay inequity at which by the way is not just in women's soccer it's in everything um women on average make less than men for doing the same job but one of the things the women's soccer team is doing to lift the veil on some of these um, patriarchal concepts that are so deeply formative for us we can't even see around them is to show the circularity of it. Like, well, we can't pay women as much because we can't pay women as much because we can't pay women as much. It's just kind of a circular argument when there is no attention paid to all the different ways that men's sports are propped up by things like endorsements and TV time and the way, you know, games are scheduled, when the season is, when they're put on TV, things like that. The women's 
national team has defied a lot of that and said, well, you know what? We're still going to go out and we're going to even be more popular. And we're still not making as much money. We're generating more revenue and we're still not making as much money. So they, they really lifted the veil on a lot of that on a lot of those arguments that have allowed those to almost be throwaway issues for some people like, well, it's just, that's just the way it is because men generate more revenue and it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, well, it only took a week mm-hmm. or not even a week from the end of the world cup for a bill to be introduced or announced mm-hmm. that would be introduced. Democratic Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia said he was going to introduce a bill that mandates the men's and women's teams be paid again from what they get for playing for the national team. This isn't for paying mm-hmm. professionally for what they're being played playing on the U S national team. And if that doesn't happen, the government then would not spend funds for the 2026 men's world cup, which is going to be played mostly in the United States. Mm-hmm. And it was less than a week from the end of the women's world cup this Well, and I would argue when it comes to these national teams, women should be paid more. Why are we talking about equal pay? I mean, I we can get into the weeds about yeah, based on results, based on popularity, based on sale of of merchandise. I mean, in all those metrics, in terms of the United States team's uh, uh, impact, the women are far outstretching the men. Well, I think it's interesting to look specifically at some numbers here. The United States pays its women's soccer players 38% of what it pays its men's soccer players. And in the women's 2019 World Cup, the champs earned a cumulative bonus of uh, $4 million. Now that bonus is going to be each player and coach on the team will get a share of that bonus, so they divvy up $4 million. I think there's 28 players on the roster and probably five to eight coaches. That's for the winner. That's for the winner. Mm -hmm. Compare that to the total prize money awarded to the Men's World Cup, uh, and that was $38 million. So the Women's Champion World Cup got $4 million. The Men's Champion World Cup in 2018 got $38 million. The overall prize money for women, all teams in this World Cup, was $30 million. The overall prize money for the Men's World Cup was $400 million. That's 13 times the amount. And so I think this is really important. One of the things that the women... have filed a class action lawsuit against is is not international soccer because internationally men's soccer is more popular more popular and uh, guys like Ronaldo and Messi are paid a hundred million dollars and women are not paid internationally that way but in the United States it's undeniable that the women's national team is much more popular than the men's. In their lawsuit, which was filed, interestingly, on March 8, 2019, which is International Women's Day, but their lawsuit is against the U.S. Soccer Federation. And it's a lawsuit that under the Equal Pay Act and Title VII of the Civil Rights Act in 1964 that they should be making the same amount of money as men for doing a similar job. 
I happen to agree with Marsha. They're not doing a similar job. They're doing a way better job and should be paid perhaps a lot more. Well, some of the more, again, damning things that indicate the inequity are like like the fact that the men's team had 20 chartered flights for play and women had zero before this World Cup. The other ways that women are compensated for play on the national team um, when their team is obviously more successful than the men's national team. Again, we could get into the weeds of how the professional ranks in the in the United States um, also display this inequity. Um, I know women, the women's team, didn't the highest paid player, the best player, makes about fifty thousand dollars in the professional league, and the highest paid men's player gets what multiple. Right. I think maybe to go into on that just a little bit, how much would it change if professionally the women's league was on par with the men's league in the United States? And again, here are the numbers. Here are the numbers that we looked at today as far as average salary versus between MLS, which is the men's league in the United States and Canada, and the NWSL, which is the women's league. And it's quite stark. MLS average salary now is $345,000. It's more than doubled in five years, showing the, the popularity. Average. That's the average salary, showing the popularity of soccer. But the lowest paid player that I was able to find on their salary list makes $56,000 a year. The highest paid women's player in the is, NWSL makes $50,000. 50, yeah. And the average salary, John, was 18000 I think you found? That's the minimum is sixteen. A minimum, yeah. The minimum is sixteen, And the person who's making that amount of money that just below 50,000 is arguably the greatest women's soccer player on earth right now Alex Morgan and the fact that she makes below $50,000 in the greatest male soccer players in the world right now have contracts that make over a hundred million dollars is a stark difference so what would it, I guess, what would it take to close the gap, I guess, between professional leagues uh, as far as ex- visibility, exposure, popularity, and then pay? What would it take for a women's league to be on par with a men's league professionally in, that, in those ways? Not in, in quality of play, but in all those other aspects that sort of rise a league up mm-hmm. in the public's eyes. I think Megan Rapino in her speech that she gave at the ticker tape parade in new york city was on point when she said to all the fans that were watching buy tickets come to our games the men's soccer league the mls in the united states is the third has the third highest attendance of all professional sports in the united states right now ranking behind the National Football League, of course, and Major League Baseball. But the average attendance of Major League Soccer men's games is higher than the NHL and even the NBA in average. So it does show the popularity of soccer. I think it's safe to say it's the probably the minimum, the fourth uh, fourth most popular team sport in the United States. I think it is safely ahead of hockey at this point, and it's going to what are the, sort of the other big three are, American football, basketball, and baseball, with a women's team that is so far better than the men's team here. Well, I mean, it seems like, I mean, this sports 
in in America is a capitalist enterprise. All the pieces are there for this to be a lucrative thing for people to buy in. And and already people are jumping on the train. Um, There's a whole, you know, kind of cadre of sports agents now that are focusing totally on women athletes, especially women soccer athletes and basketball. How can we begin to capitalize on you and um, get more endorsements, get your face out there? The women's 2019 World Cup soccer jersey is the most highest selling Nike soccer jersey ever of any of men or women yeah of men so or let me women. finish real quick what I was going to say so so what I'm saying is look at a, a Rapino for instance she is a marketing machine she understands how to capitalize on on what's happening for her right now she's got all kinds of endorsements she constantly uses her Twitter feed for saying stuff about different products different companies and she's she's got somebody helping her with that I can tell you that right now so if these women begin to get the the kind of apparatus around them that men athletes male athletes have agents financial advisors endorsements then the industry of women's sports in the in this country will begin to you know amplify the actual sport itself it's never just about the sport Mm -hmm. in america it's always about the industry that is around it that makes people want to have it on tv and have buy commercial time that makes people want to stream it and you know buy different products so all of those pieces are what where the gap is and that gap won't be filled until the kind of architecture of it all is filled in around it and i think it's happening Maybe it's on hyperspeed now after this, mm-hmm. <laughs> after this World Cup. Well, it's happening some. It's happening some with advertisers like Luna Bar, donated over thirty-one thousand dollars to each woman on the national on the championship team in an effort to make up the difference between the men's and women's bonuses that they earn. Adidas has said that from now on they will pay equal bonuses to men and women uh, for winning World Cup. In Visa, which is perhaps the biggest U.S. sponsor, just signed a new five-year deal uh, with U.S. soccer, and over 50% of the money that they've pledged is going to go to the women's team, not the men's. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's those are significant steps. But again, I think Rapino had it best when she said the best thing you can do is fill stadiums where women are playing soccer matches. The MLS can grow in terms of popularity, and that's the league that's only 25 years old now, or not even that. It's been since the World Cup, the Men's World Cup was held in the U.S. in 1994. It would certainly seem that a women's league can grow equally. And again, if, if tickets were sold, if people were filling up these stadiums, and most of the stadiums that women's teams are playing on are in the five to 10,000 range, 
You might see more of them built because MLS has certainly built a lot of soccer-specific stadiums in the last 10 to 15 years. And mm-hmm. you don't talk about the architecture and apparatus of all that. That involves a lot of civic engagement. That's a lot of public money and taxpayer money that goes to these facilities and all that. But that seems to be really where one of the other gaps that would be filled in, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And again, it, it's, a, it's an ecosystem. It kind of feeds itself. And it's picking up steam. And some of it is people buying tickets, but also some of it is the kind of industry of sports saying, we want to get on this train. We're going to, you know, put you all in the prime spots. We're going to do things to incentivize people to get on board this. Um, it's, you know, men's sports have ha- has had a kind of affirmative action, you know, in terms of the way TV has treated it uh, and the terms in terms of the way big um, sports industry has treated it. So um, equity doesn't just happen. There has to be an institutional apparatus underneath it for it to happen. You've been listening to Going Deep, sports in the 21st century, from the studios of Blue Ridge Public Radio, NPR for Western North Carolina. Tell us what you think of the show by emailing us at goingdeep@bpr.org. Make sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Shoops Going Deep.